Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A Living History Production. I'm Peter Hart. And I'm Gary Bain. And together, we're Pete and Gary's Military History Podcast. Hello and welcome to uh, the latest podcast. I'm Gary Bain and once more I'm joined by the enigma that is Peter Hart. And today it's another in our series uh, of uh, Laugh or Cry. Oh, Laugh or Cry, eh? Which is our, our new book. It's out, Gary. It's out. And it's available at all good uh, bookstores and uh, some not so good ones. Uh, for example, if you're living in those foreign lands... You mean America? Or foreign lands. Uh, you might like to go to uh, Amazon. It's yeah. available uh, through Amazon. And we'd be very pleased if you would support the podcast through the book. And today... Well, it's better than buying us a coffee, isn't it? It's just, I mean, because then we, we have the fun of knowing you're reading our words, we are, which we have chiselled out from the dictionary. And we don't really send, spend the money on coffee, do we? We spend it on beer and fags and other stuff. Um, uh, yeah, so, uh, so yeah, and if you live in uh, our lovely country, uh, which is, uh, what's it called? England, that's it. Uh, then I, I, I buy it rather direct from Pen and Sword or Amazon or any reputable bookshop. Yeah. Now, today, just to give you a flavour of the book, I suppose, today's podcast's entitled... I think you ought to say this, it's much more... In fact, it's you who thought of it. Donkey's Bollocks. What's that about, Gary? Well... <sighs> It's a sort of allusion to the uh, uh, lions led by donkeys uh, phraseology that that is very often posted up. Uh, And and it's trying to to redress the balance, shall we say. Now, soldiers didn't much like their generals. That's true. They made fun of them and they laughed at their idiosyncrasies. Now, that doesn't make them bad generals, does it? No, it, it just—they're just authority figures surrounded by men who, in fact, let's be honest, for very good reasons, are absolutely bloody fed up, and they're in the mood for both a moan and a laugh. So generals are just a natural sort of lightning conductor for, 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 to the men in the front line. You, you can laugh or cry about them. Yeah, now the staff oh, they were widely <laughs> disliked. Yeah. yeah, yeah, wide. Now they were considered. Gilded lilies. Oh, they're woefully inefficient at anything that mattered like battle plans. But they're all too keen to busy themselves with petty frogging details like things. Now, to the absolute distraction of stressed officers who were up to their eyes in uh, 
mud, blood, and something else. Germans. Exactly. Now, this is Captain Alexander Stewart of the Cameronians. That's Scottish rifles, Pete. Uh, and this is uh, what he says about the situation. I hear I'm very annoyed by memos sent round from headquarters that come in all hours of the day and night. They stop me getting a full night's rest, and some of them are very silly and quite unnecessary. Ah, <laughs> When I'm very tired of just getting off to sleep with cold feet, in comes an orderly with a chit asking how many pairs of socks my company had a week ago. I reply, 141 and a half, the Schweinier. <laughs> I then go to sleep. Back comes a memo. Please explain at once how you come to be deficient in one sock. I reply, man lost his leg. That's how we make the Huns sit up. And, and, and that's a, a cracking quote. And I do understand why that's, but, but, but staff work is about detail. I mean, that's a stupid, and that's a probably apocryphal. Well, yeah, and um, um, uh, pirate-like. Yes, at times. I can't do accents. You can't do accents. <laughs> that, 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 I, I'm now fully of the opinion that the Scots were, were full of pirates. The, the problem with, with these accents is the more people tell us not to do them, the more likely we are to do them. <laughs> mm. The red tabs, now, as you mentioned, they were so cool because Why of they? the... Why uh, are they called that? The red insignia worn on the uniform of staff officers, officers uh, and they were often perceived as lazy and stupid. Now, what does Lieutenant Norman Dowd, who's a miserable bugger at the best of times, of the fourth Gordon Highlanders say about this? Also Scottish, Gary, and not, by the way, from Edinburgh. Lloyd George claims that That's silver Welsh. bullets are going to win the war. According to Lord Northcliffe, it is high explosives which will at last enable us to blast our way to Berlin. Others mention the Navy, the Russian steamroller, the liquor restrictions and whatnot. I once heard a man say that the brains of the staff would be the deciding factor, but I am not such a pessimist as he. I'm still hopeful for a favourable issue. That was Welsh, Gary. I thought that was Highlands. <laughs> could have been, could have been. We're not good at accents. Uh, right, um, still, uh, there's another quote from uh, Lieutenant Norman Down, because now he's not, he's not with the Gordon Islanders, fine body of men that they are. He's now a staff officer at Headquarters 8 Brigade. Has, has everything changed for Norman? No, and you've got to, you've got to think about what they're doing. They, <laughs> They're not only uh, responsible for detailed orders, as you mentioned, but they, they also dealt with the massive logistical arrangements without which an army couldn't move. So, you know, it's hard They'd work. They'd starve without it. It's hard work. And and as you mentioned, the cynical Norman Down, he soon finds out about that when he gets his staff position. I There seems to be quite a lot of work to do. It appears that you do work on the staff after all. Of course, it hasn't considered uh, correct. It isn't considered correct to be caught out working. And that's why when you enter the brigade office, you may find the brigade major peppering the staff captain with paper balls. As you would. It's only done so that you may think that they don't work. If it was once discovered that the staff worked as hard as other people, the chief grouse of the British Army would be taken away. And it's well known that the British Army without a grouse would be heartbroken. 
That is just fantastic. I'm ca- I do actually really like Norman Dan because he is quite cynical and funny. Uh, lovely. Now, it's not to say that the staff don't make mistakes, although some were made by uh, attached frontline officers. Mm. Blame somebody else. Who were simply helping out. Perhaps it weren't that easy after all, Pete. And, yeah, this, uh, Captain David Kelly, Headquarters 110th Brigade, he, he says this. I spent the month of November with the neighbouring 64th Brigade acting as their brigade major in the absence on leave of the real one, being attached for that month as a staff learner. At that time, I had not yet become an expert in the interpretation of aerial photographs. And when on one occasion an artillery brigadier called at the brigade headquarters and asked for suggestions as to targets, I showed him some photographs I'd studied and indicated some obvious centres of activity. Tracks, works and works suggesting battery positions, headquarters, etc. We identified these on the map and he departed <clears throat> in great good humour, promising to straff them like blazes. I was going to say buggery there, but <laughs> blazes. But after he'd gone, I found to my horror that the obvious targets I had shown him were all on our side of the line, as we'd been looking at the photographs upside down. <laughs> Sorry. I left it to General Headlam, commanding 64th Brigade, the task of explaining this to the gunner. And I just love the idea. Photograph upside down. Yes, now at the higher levels, the staff dealt with um, after-action reports, assessing the impact of new weapons and tactics on both sides. They planned the next offensive down to the last detail, disseminating the plans to the hundreds of units that had been needed. Well, they also monitored basic field security to make sure the Germans don't get to know about these plans. They also tracked the movements of every German division through a variety of intelligence sources. What else do they do? There's lots more, isn't there? Well, also the movement and distribution of millions of tonnes of stores, making sure weapons, ammunition, uniforms and foodstuffs were all where they were needed, when they were needed, in the quantities needed. That's a bloody huge task. It was massive. Massive. Now, General Sir Douglas Haig's headquarters... You've been there. You went to Montreal this year. Went to Montreal, yeah. They also had to cope with visits from civilian politicians. Yes, well, the next quote concerns the borderline, (laughs) or actual, (laughs) alcoholic Prime Minister Herbert... What's his nickname, Gary? Squiffy. Bit of a clue there. Asquith. Um, although Squiffy guess go with Asquith as well. Um, now, Asquith found Haig's rather austere hospitality to be uh, rather less generous than he uh, <laughs> might have hoped. Uh, and this is, uh, you're going to be, it's a change because normally I'm him, but you, I'm going you, to be. you've rested it. You've rested it from me, haven't you? I'm going to be. Who are you going to I'm be? I'm going to be Brigadier. I'm not just going to read it, Pete. I'm going to be Brigadier General John Charteris of the General Headquarters. I'm going to put everything into this. Ooh, I'm excited. Douglas Haig has some excellent old brandy, which, however, he only sends round once at each meal. After that, it stands in solitary grandeur in front of him on the table. The Prime Minister obviously appreciated it very much and wished for more, but did not feel that he could ask for another glass. His method of achieving his aim was to move his glass a little nearer the bottle and then try and catch DH's eye and draw it down to his glass and then to the bottle. The glass advanced by stages as small as those of our attack until, last of all, it was resting against the bottle. 
Then, overcoming all his scruples, the Prime Minister, with a sweep of the arm, seized the bottle and poured himself out a glass. I was sitting opposite, and the by-play was indescribably funny. D.H. did not notice it at all. When I told it to him afterwards, his comment was, If he has not enough determination to ask for a glass of brandy when he wants it, he should not be Prime Minister. Now, what do you draw from that? There's two things I noticed. One that you might have forgotten because it was a long time ago we discussed it. But Haig's father was an alcoholic. So <sighs> he wasn't going to be in keen on excess. But what else do you notice about that whole story? I don't think Chartres has got the right end of the stick, really. Who's right in this exchange? Well, I think Haig's entirely right. I mean, you can't have a prime minister who's uh, not prepared to say what he wants. Uh now, the How ignorance... many Prime Ministers have we had this week? Uh, this week? Oh, I think we're on our third, aren't we? Uh, now, the ignorance of British politicians seemed unbelievable to Haig's staff, who had to explain slowly and repeatedly that there was no easy alternative magic war-winning strategy. Was that frustrating to them? Well, it certainly could be. And once more, I'm going to be... I'm not just going to tell you, Pete. I'm going to be Brigadier General John Charteris of General Headquarters. I'm finding this almost emotional. Sooner or later, they, one and all, bring the conversation round to the Eastern versus the Western Front problem. That is easy argument, but leaves an uneasy feeling that there is some very strong... Uh, leaning at home towards easy victories in unimportant theatres, with small casualties and no real results. How on earth can uh, one hope to beat Germany by killing Turks or Bulgars passes comprehension? It is like a prize fighter leaving the ring to trounce his opponent's seconds. <laughs> great, great image to that. That's a great analogy, and, and it's not a million miles from the truth, really. Well, what do you think politicians are like, Gary? Well, then and now they always look to avoid the real issues for the sake of easy victories. Ooh. Now, one bane... I'm, I'm a bane. You are. Bloody ...of right. every soldier's life... Oh. <laughs> uh, ...was inspection by the great and the good. Yeah. Um, uh, in or out of the line, this is a bit of a distraction. They, they feel a bit of a distraction to their real work. Uh, but they've got to conform to every possible requirement of any inspecting general or, or senior staff. All, all the consequences could be painful. But there's also a great deal of humour in these occasions, are there? there? There are. And this is what Lieutenant Archibald Gilchrist of the 10, 10th King's Liverpool Regiment, that's the first Liverpool Scottish, has to say. Yes, I like this. You quote. went to Liverpool University, didn't I you? I did, Pete? so I, So this uh, should be spot on. Yeah, I can only do gay Liverpool. This should be spot on. <laughs> uh Brigadier General Douglas Smith said to the Colonel, disappointment to you, Gary, said to the Colonel, Davidson, I can't understand your battalion. The, the men are such a curious mixture. Most of them are obviously gentlemen, but you seem to have a number of absolute toughs as well. Now look at this ruffian, indicating Lance Corbel in a goatskin, walking towards her, mud to the eyes and with three days' growth. I shouldn't care to meet him alone on a dark night. Do you know who he is? Yes, sir, said the colonel. He's my brother. <laughs> now, somehow, ludicrous, ludicrous things always seem to happen under the eye of a visiting general. <laughs> Was this the case when you were... Uh... <laughs> God, yeah. Probably because men were slightly distracted by their presence. And this is Captain Randolph Chell of the 10th Essex. Are gonna, Essex. Are you going to be him? Yes, 10th Essex Regiment. Simon Ord, aged about 50 
was one of the industrious young platoon commanders at this time. Few who have witnessed it will forget the ceremoniousness of his salute. And when, on one occasion, the general passed by his platoon drawn up by the side of the road, Ord was so occupied with the salute that he disappeared into a four-foot ditch of water. But the salute remained intact. A zealous young officer, that, said General Higginson. <laughs> now, um... Uh the the, the 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 classic story and this is where i think you would feature is that uh, there's always an officer in charge watching as the, as the general makes an unerring beeline for the doziest stupidest scruffiest most useless person in the unit in in the case of the intelligence court it was definitely you gary um to ask them a question and uh what, what's this one about well, this is 2nd Lieutenant Reginald Russell of the 11th Queen's Own Royal West Kent Regiment. That's the Lewisham Battalion, Pete. Londoner. And this is what he had to say. On the occasion of a tour of the line by Gen- General Lawford, it so happened that this visit followed a few days after the issue of the v- volume... Uh, oh, Voluminous. Voluminous. A divisional defence scheme, the gist of which was ordered to be communicated to all ranks. This particular sentry was not one of our brightest and best. This individual was somewhat hesitant in the presence of one so highly placed as a divisional commander. The general fired the following question at him. What? What would you do if the bush came over? There was no reply. Come on, my boy, said Colonel Corf. Tell the general what will you do if the bush came across? More hesitation. And then, stick here and fight like hell. No no answer could have pleased his colonel more, and the latter turned to General Lawford and remarked, There you are, sir. (laughs) There is the whole of your defence scheme in a sentence. I think he was just catching, sort of catching the situation. (laughs) Now, there was also the case of a general inspecting a Bantam battalion. Now, that's a unit made up of men of small stature. Like yourself, Gary. Who were below the official height for enlistment. There was considerable concern that these men wouldn't be able to stand up to the physical trials of trench warfare, as related in this wonderful tale told by Thomas Chalmers in his history of the 16th Highland Light Infantry. And uh, this is one Thomas Chalmers. Yes, he's just a, a journalist, I think, writing about it. But it is a fabulous story. There is a warm tear lurking in the story of a conversation between a general, himself of small build, and one disconcerted bantam. Peremptorily, the general asked, Could you fight a Bosch? The little fellow looked appealingly at the staff officer and then said, uh, Yes, sir, but he would need to be a wee-un. Lovely, great. Um, now, Thanks, uh- mate. That was said with such feeling. Yeah, I meant it. I really meant it. Now, it's sad to say that sometimes generals were a little bit thoughtless. Again, you may have noticed this in your own distinguished service. Uh, their thoughts in the extreme in the demands they make on tired troops. And this is part, of course, of why people moan about generals and, 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 and make fun of them. Uh, so uh, this is what Lieutenant Alex Jeffries of the 2nd Berkshire Regiment said. We were back at rest in a very pleasant little French village. We were due to go back into the line on Christmas Eve, which we didn't look forward to at all. A few days before, my excellent young Batman, who looked after me, he woke me up and said, Sir, we've got orders from the General. We've got to go. Very unwillingly, we got ourselves up as quickly as we could, fell in the troops, and we set off to make a rendezvous with the General about four or five miles away. 
we were greeted by the news that he'd been and gone. He'd left behind his Christmas cards, which was a photograph of himself on a white charger. Excellent. I'd have loved that every Christmas. Now, on the other hand, some generals made every effort to put the men at their ease, recognising the dangers of their situation in the front line. And uh, once more, you're going to relate what 2nd Lieutenant Basil Peacock of the 22nd Northumberland Fusiliers says. Oh, he's from London. The general did visit us in the line, arriving at our company headquarters dugout, having crawled the last 20 yards since the trench had been blown in. We were a little shy. We were unaccustomed to receiving such VIPs in our home and we felt inferior and scruffy. His first words relieved the tension. Ah, God, you chaps, I thought a sniper would get me crawling those last few yards as my bottom's too big and sticks out a bit. (laughs) You should have read this one, Gary. Uh, When he'd sipped a mug of tea laced with a tot of rum and chatted amiably, we began to think of him... uh, uh, a grand, we began to think of him as a grand champ, although he did not tell us how we were to win the war. And when we had departed, we agreed that it was damn decent for an elderly, grey-haired man to crawl through all that mud to pay us a call. Mm. Now, as the war went on, generals got younger and younger, so well, they weren't yeah. all grey old. Well, no, head no, head they men. weren't. Not by the end, no. As the army expanded and promising. Uh, officers, they were promoted at a speed that you couldn't imagine in peacetime. No, you couldn't. And this uh, Lieutenant Norman Down, this is when he was with the it's Fourth get, Gordon. He's getting about, isn't he? Does he does get about a bit. Fourth Gordon Islanders, fine body of men, Gary. Uh, what does he say? Just after dark, the commanding officer came round with a youngest-looking officer, whom I took to be a Royal Engineer. He began to criticise a sandbag traverse which my men had built and which I was rather proud of. And as I was feeling fed up at the time, I suggested that the people who lived in the trenches ought to be the best judges of how to build them. Perhaps you're right, said he, and off he went with the CO. Soon after, the adjutant rang me up. Well, what did you think of the new general? Oh, God. (laughs) And on that note, we'll have a pause for thought. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Many stories are told of the Australian and Canadian perspectives of their generals, and there are many versions of the following uh, apocryphal tale, which are all much loved and cherished. Well, they, they may have a basis in fact or not. They, they do have a basis in fact or a perception, don't they? And this is uh, uh, what Major Rory McLeod of A Battery, 240th Brigade Royal Field Artillery, relates. The army staff under Plumer had a conference on discipline and, and at which dissatisfaction was expressed at the saluting of the Canadians. Plum, that's Plumer, let it go on for a while and then broke in with, Well, gentlemen, I don't think there's very much wrong with the saluting of the Canadians. Nearly, e nearly every Canadian I salute returns it. <laughs> this brought it to an end. I just love... <laughs> Lovely. Now, this, uh, this story uh, from Lieutenant Walter Belford, 11th Australian Battalion. Australian, you say, It Gary. sums up the Australian uh, uh, attitude yeah, to well, authority. Well, well, well. I'll put my teeth in, Pete. Along came General Birdwood and staff, all well-mounted and gleaming with red tabs, gold and polished buttons. The general passed along the scattered line of troops, nodding and smiling and speaking as was his wont. Some of the troops acknowledged his greeting and grinned in return, but many only stood and glowered in silence. After the corps commander had passed, an officer of his staff came up to two fairly recent arrivals in the battalion, who were standing silent and glum, and asked them, Don't you know who that was? The two diggers shook their heads. Why, the officer said, that's General Birdwood, the soul of Anzac. Oh, is he? said one of the diggers. Well, I'm Private Smith, the mug of free court. The officer hastily spurred his horse to overtake his party. Brilliant accent, Gary. I just can't congratulate you. I mate. just can't wait until Matt McLellan comments on it. Now, there's a, 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 a bullying their uniforms in and out. Oh, of that, that hated it. A widespread dislike of that. Yeah, and, and, and having to march miles and then stand in the pouring rain for some visiting general or senior Who stuff. wouldn't enjoy that? Oh, who wouldn't moan? And there was lots of resentment, even Gary, even Gary, even Gary, when it, they'd been inspected by the man whose uniform they wore. Who's that? Fred Jones. Fred Jones the king. King himself, you mean? Now, this is... Uh, what Private Fred Dixon of the 10th Queen's Royal West Surrey Regiment says. It started to rain. The whistle blew and we fell in. Then we were given the most peculiar order. Fall in and look as if you're out at rest. Typical. We did our best. There were detachments from every other battalion in the division all down the street. Then Captain Gerling said, Now in a very short while, round the corner of that side street will come a car and King George will be in it. When he drives past us, uh, when I put my cap up in the air, I want you to get, go, want you to give him a cheer. Well, it was raining and we were all miserable. We waited a little while. <laughs> then the car comes round the corner. Up went Captain Gerling's hat and not a man cheered. It was a proper flop. King George sat in an open car and he looked as miserable as sin. Gerling was a bit annoyed and he said, when the king comes out of the headquarters... In about three quarters of an hour's time, I want you to put up a better show. Again, the king came past. A girl in threw up his hat and nobody cheered. I considered that we were being buggered about. It was, it was all I watched. Soldiers really haven't changed. No. Now, generals, they often made speeches to their men, usually blather, laced with a cheery optimism, 
that normally had no basis whatsoever in <laughs> fact. Are you all right, Pete? Oh, it's the emotion of it all, Gary. Now, one such <coughs> uh, speech was made by the distinguished figure of Lieutenant General Sir Richard Haking to some of the officers of his 11th Corps. And this was uh, related by two officers, Captain Charles Potter and Lieutenant Albert Fothergill of the 2nd Sixth Lancashire Fusiliers. We don't, we can't attribute to... No, it's one, one. of the two. Uh, they wrote together a, a really fine history of the 2nd Sixth Lancashire Fusiliers, which I urge you to buy. What's it about? It's about the Lancashire Fusiliers. And you're going to uh, tell us what he says, or one of them says. His address was cheery and optimistic. He told us that on his core front, our troops had established a moral superiority over the Bosch and that he looked to us to keep up this satisfactory state of affairs and pointed out that the only way to do so was by means of frequent patrols and trench raids. The main point of trench warfare was to make things lively for the other side. In conclusion, we were asked to remember that there was no such thing as no man's land. No man's land belonged to us, and the Bosch were only there on sufferance. All this sounded very interesting, and reminded one somewhat of the man who owned a dog of which his friends were in perpetual fear. To reassure a particularly timid friend, the owner of the dog said, You needn't be afraid of him, he doesn't bite. To which the timid friend replied, That's all right, you know he doesn't bite, and now I know. But does the dog know? Similarly, in spite of all that had been said, we were not quite certain that the Bosch knew his place in the order of creation. You mean they might bite? They might bite. Now, Guy Chapman, he cherished the... He had one memory, uh, cherished memory uh, of a formal inspection by who, Gary? Who? Well, it was by Haig, where his uh, benighted company commander had lost control of his horse, which had bolted, carrying him far from the parade. And you're going to tell us what Captain Guy Chapman of the 13th Royal Fusiliers says. Yeah, that's a, another classic book. Was it Passionate Prodigality? Yeah. That's easy for you to say. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Uh, he says this. We're only just time to stiffen <laughs> and present arms before the Commander-in-Chief was upon us. Not, not until he had reached the last of number two company did I realise that I was now the commander of number three or company. Darting round to the front, I was met by a kind smile and Sir Douglas's soft, padded hand. And how long have you been in command of this company? About two minutes, sir, <laughs> was all my scatterbrain would allow me to say. He's only temporarily in command, sir, put in Major Ardar, uh, anxiously frowning me down. Well, I blushed and stole away to the rear. <laughs> The visits by Haig, they were often dreaded by the troops. Why was that, they? Gary? Why? Well, surely he was popular. He well, was it wasn't popular. through some visceral hatred of Haig. It was because of what a visit from the Commander-in-Chief entailed. What did it mean, Gary? <laughs> well, it, invariably, it meant an attack was scheduled for the very near future. And this is what Captain, one of Captain Charles Potter or Lieutenant Albert Fothergill, back with the second sixth Lancashire Fusiliers, of the years, said. Field Marshal Sir Douglas Haig inspected the division. We were informed afterwards that he was much pleased with our recent performance and so struck with our present appearance that before long we should be given occupation suitable to our metal, or words to that effect. Naturally, inspecting generals invariably presuppose that troops in reserve are burning for the fray and that the only reward of service is to be at, once, uh, be at it once again. War can only be waged upon this thesis. All the same, there is a certain element of humour in the supposition. 
What would have happened on the occasion of inspections if a general obsessed with an opposite idea had said, this division has done well, and as a reward for its service, and as a tribute to its efficiency, I will see that it is placed for three months on lines of communication. It's probable that ranks would have been broken and that strong men would have stopped to kiss his stirrup leather with broken cries of, God bless you. That's a wonderful, wonderful quote. Um, now, a lot of the generals, so as we mentioned earlier, they, they were the focus of a lot of stories, weren't they? Uh, but somebody stands out, doesn't he? Head and shoulders above those. Who is this masked man? Uh, I think you're referring to Lieutenant General Sir Alma Hunter Weston, who yeah. commanded Eighth uh, Corps on the Western Front from 1916 to 1918, and of course of Gallipoli fame. Yes, he was very, very famous. Um, so, this is uh, Lieutenant James Crossley, 1st, 4th, King's Own, Royal Lancaster Regiment. Whoops. The ubiquity of General Sir Aylmer Hunter Weston was phenomenal. He was fond of touring the front line. And on coming to a sentry post, to mark his estimate of the importance of that duty, he would stand in front of the bewildered sentry saying, Aye, your corps commander, salute you. And suiting the action to the words, did actually give this sentry a most ceremonious salute. He was keen on researches on the roofs of and behind cookhouses, while at battalion parade inspection, he made the men take off their boots and exposed officers' ignorance at the innards of a water cart. That legend should gather around his name is not surprising. He was a fine officer, and in some ways he was. There are things we've we've discussed, Elmer, unto us uh, he's interesting, isn't he? Uh, there's a lot to say about him. Yeah, and there are many versions of his interactions with hapless private soldiers. Yeah, because he's a pompous bastard, isn't he? <laughs> and this is what Lieutenant Morris Laws of 30th Siege Battery Royal Garrison Artillery says. He was a very theatrical type of chap who always liked to play up to the gallery. He was going round his troops in the front line. He came upon this soldier standing there as a sentry next door to a Belgian sentry. The corps commander said to the soldier, Who are you? The soldier said, Private Buggins, Middlesex. The corps commander said, Oh, no, you aren't. You're much more than that. Do you realise, my man, that you are the left-hand man of the left-hand platoon of the left-hand company of the left-hand battalion of the left-hand brigade of the left-hand division of the left-hand corps of the whole of the British army. And the fellow looked at him and said, God almighty, it, if you gives right will. Yeah. <laughs> oh, an idiot. <laughs> now, did that really happen? Oh, oh, would you have thought so? Probably not, but it sums up the typical reaction to Hunter Weston's bluster. His popular nickname... Hunter Bunner. Yeah, it was far obvious, too obvious it? to be neglected. Hunter Western, Hunter Bunter. Yeah, and he was in many ways a vainglorious buffoon. But there's another side to Hunter Western. There is, and this is what we covered before. He'd been a bright and heroic young sapper officer during the Boer War, Royal Engineer. Uh, he, he, he was described, he led commando raids, didn't he, behind the line? Uh, they weren't called commando raids. Then. No, but he was described as a slashy man of action. We've said this before. He'd been rapidly promoted. Too rapidly. On clear merit from Colonel to Lieutenant General from 1914 to 15. One year. One year. Do you think that was... Uh, what's wrong with that then? Is that not the recognition of his merit or is there something wrong? Yeah, but how do you gain experience? 
at, at the different levels of command. I mean, it's not his fault, is it? But um, his physical courage was, was also totally unquestioned. Yeah, the, Lieutenant Alex Jeffries, 2nd Berkshire Regiment, said this about Hunter Bunter. Oh, sorry, Hunter Weston, sorry, do apologise. During the morning light, I was up in the front line, standing beside one of my sentries to talk with him, when suddenly Hunter Bunter, with a whole train of generals, aides de camp and people behind him, came up to me and started asking me questions about the line and what was in front of us. That was the first time I'd ever met him. With him, there was a divisional commander, a brigade commander, all these people who followed him around. They were obviously obviously anxious to get the thing over with as quickly as they could. They kept on nudging Hunter Weston, saying, Sir, I think it's time we moved uh, out, on, 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 moved on. Not. Nobody really in their senses would, would like to dwell in that sort of position too long. To which he replied, Go away, I want to talk to this boy. Hunter Bunt had no sense of fear at all. He was obviously as brave as a lion, which in some ways compensated for his rather strange personality. He was bombastic to a degree. And this is what we've said. He's not a likeable chap, is he? No, he's not, but, but that doesn't make him a fool. No, no. Now, another general who suffered a great deal of denigration, but for rather different reasons, was Major General Sir Cameron Shute, who was appointed to command the 63rd Royal Naval Division in 1916. Now, one of my all-time favourite divisions, I interviewed many of their veterans, uh, they they had a very high opinion of themselves uh, and they they didn't take very kindly to shoot. uh, And and, and what was his attitude to them? Well, in turn, he kicked hard against the prevailing laxness and... uh, ludicrous naval affectations of his command. Oh, they, they used to go ashore, not going on leave, and they used to, all these stupid port and starboard, all this stuff. And in some sense, both sides had been, they sort of had right on their side, I suppose. Shoot was experienced in Western Front conditions with a far better grip on what was required to survive in the trenches, facing the massed artillery and fighting power of the German army. Oh, but in contrast, the R&D had previous experience at Gallipoli, which had been a tough but different challenge. Um, um, but what, what does, what does uh, shoot demand from them? Basic duties of trench life are carried out properly, that trench repairs, stores, sanitation and basic disciplines were important. And on the other hand, Shute was a, a, an officious bastard. No, Gary, please. No, there's no need to be rude. Now, he, it said he lacked the sympathetic, tactful personality that might have got the lessons across without the friction. Now, the result was that he was hated and despised by the officers of the RND. Yes, he was. And uh, th- this is what Captain Douglas Gerald, who wrote the history of the Hawk Battalion and was in the Hawk Battalion, said. Well, that was quite useful that he was in it to yeah, write the history really helpful. It. That was very helpful. Very helpful. I was standing in a communication trench talking to George Peckham about everything in the world except the war when we were surprised by the general's arrival. Foolishly, we were standing in a blind corner and there was no avenue of escape. A rain of questions descended, which we were fortunately able to answer, and all seemed to be going well. Alas, the general had a habit, when standing still, of striking the ground rather forcibly with the point of his walking stick. Our trenches were innocent of duckboards and more than ankle-deep in mud. The general's stick went in deeper and deeper, till suddenly it struck something hard. Instantly, there was an ominous bristling. 
After much kicking and scraping, a perfectly good box of small arms ammunition was revealed. Ammunition boxes lining the communication dredges, the general exclaimed, drafting out loud another report to Corps headquarters on the iniquities of the Navy. Good God, sir, cried George Peckham, with a credible imitation of pietistic but tolerant horror. I believe you're right. He stood looking at the general, who was now quite white with rage, as if he were a lunatic to be humoured, and then, on some pretext or other, shone off the premises. And you were deliberately standing there trying to conceal it from me. It's a dad's disgrace. Good God, sir, says George with a broad smile. If I'd known you were coming, this is the last place on earth where I where I should have been standing. He's a cheeky bucket, George Brecker. <laughs> but that's funny. It is funny, it is. Now, time and time again, Shoot reports the real and imagined failings of the RND. Actually, they're real. Uh, I think, um, but he just points they're not they're not up to the standards needed on the Western Front. Now, there's something unfortunate for him though. Well, what's that? Well, unfortunately, uh, the R and D had several officers of a poetic bent. That's putting it mildly. One of whom responded with a devastating broadside of scatological doggerel, and this is a rather famous. Uh, uh, Captain A.P. Herbert of the Hawk Battalion and a rather famous, uh, I suppose you'd call it, poem. The general inspecting the trenches exclaimed with a horrified shout, I refuse to command the division which leaves its excreter about. But nobody took any notice. No one was prepared to refute that the presence of shit was congenial compared with the presence of shoot. And certain responsible critics made haste to respond to his words, observing that his staff advisers consisted entirely of turds. For shit may be shot at odd corners and paper supplied there to suit, but a shit would be shot without mourners if somebody shot that shit shoot. And that is brilliant, but there was blame on both sides. In the final analysis, the R&D officers were in the wrong. I, I, I like the R&D. I like all these people, these R&D officers, but they're in the wrong. Shoot, saved the lives of many of his officers and men. How, Gary? Explain how. How? By insisting, despite their moaning, yeah. or some would say observations, on the men digging assembly and jumping off trenches prior to their attack during the Battle of the Ankh on 13th of November. Yeah. Had he not bullied them into this, had he not made them do it, there would have been far more casualties. They, they cursed him, did they? They might have done, but uh, they were grateful as they sheltered by the self-same trenches during a barrage of German shells that fell on them before they went over the top. Generals and staff officers may be annoying, but they did have a role to play. Well, one last word, and that this is uh, this is something... Uh, forget about the staff officers, just the generals, a brigadier general and above. Well, that's what a general is. How, how, so, Gary, how many casualties were there? Well, there's some debate about this, but but we've uh, we've settled on uh, 232 casualties, of which 58 are killed. So, how many were wounded? Uh, 174. Now, some of them would have been wounded more than once, but 174 wounded now we're going to finish together pete in unison in harmony 
Well, it's a pastiche, isn't it, of a famous poem by I've forgotten who just at the moment. Oh, Siegfried Sassoon. But, uh, right, let's go to... Well, can you count me in, Gary? <laughs> count me in. One, two... Oh, I'll count you in. One, two, three, four. Good, Good morning. morning. Good, Good morning, morning, the general said, as he passed down the line with a wound in his head. Now, now we knew he was wounded by the way that he bled. And when he got to the base, the poor bugger was dead. And that is a truth. A lot, a lot of generals were killed. Uh, they did have a role. They were annoying, but they did a good job. And the staff officers, without them, the army wasn't doing anything. No, and good staff work was needed in all circumstances. Everything. Well, Gary, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you this morning. Yes, Pete, yes. I'm just wondering if you, you're a general. Cause, no. Because you can be annoying. No, no, I'm a lad's corporal. <laughs> A Lance Corporal in life. <laughs> Cheers, Gary. Cheers, Pete. Thanks for listening to the show. Blah, blah, blah. If you'd like to support blah, us, blah, you can now buy us a coffee. Blah, blah, Visit www.buymeacoffee.com backslash PGMH. Or... Visit www.blahblahblahblahblah. And we'd be jolly grateful. Cheers. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook to learn more about each episode. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you have a couple of options. You can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash pgmh or consider subscribing to the podcast for only two pounds per month and get ad free listening and bonus content you can find links for both on our facebook and twitter accounts sounds great doesn't it